All right, Shalom Ubracha. Welcome to Uman Rosh Hashanah. Tavshin Peidalit. We made it. Um, just uh, if you noticed, if you say it, Rav Nosen wrote a prayer to be recited after the Tikkun Aklali, a suggested prayer after the Tikkun Aklali. They used to say in Breslev that the Tikkun Aklali is the open heart surgery and the recovery is the prayer after after the, the Tikkun Aklali. And normally you know that when you recover, you feel the pain. Right? You feel the pain. There's surgery, you're under, you're under sleep. Right? You're, you don't feel anything. But in the recovery, so they say, well, the, the Rav Nosen's prayer really opens you up to feel why you're saying the Tikkun Aklali. So there are two inserts to say if you're here. In other words, Rav Nosen wrote the, this, the prayer to be recited anywhere in the world when you say Tikkun Aklali. To help you open, express the what you're feeling in your heart, to feel the pain of this blemish of Pagama Brit, which is why the Tikkun Aklali is mainly was made. But he added, Rav Nosen added two excerpts to say. One of them says, She hakashe. I journeyed the difficult journey to get here. Years I've been saying it. With all the comforts of the Shiner food and now the Freder food and the five-star hotels and the rubber ducky making and everything. So what Tiltul Kashe? It's great. And also we're coming from Kiev to Uman. Three hours. Okay, you know what? Lost luggage, rare. One in a thousand, okay? Now the ratio of lost luggage is what? 50, 50% of people lost their luggage. And we're at least 24, 25 hours. Some people 40, 40 hours traveling. Everybody felt the Tiltul Kashe. Rav Nosen in his time, they had the bumpy horse rides on the dirt roads in the Ukraine. So we're going through a little. So for the first time, I was able to say this paragraph, the difficult journey to come here. And because Rav Nosen said, because he makes a point, Hashem, I made the difficult journey to come to Rabbeinu. So because I made a difficult journey, let my request be answered. So this year we can say it, that I difficult the journey to come. Because it was difficult. Everyone admits, be on a bus, Crunched, super crunch, uh, vanilla crunch, whatever crunch. You got it. It was, it was a killer. But Boch Hashem, we made it. So that's one thing. And we want to start off with a nice joke, okay? A joke. Just to make the, the ambiance nice and whatever. So there was a wife. She called her husband. Yes, dear. She says, tell me a joke, please. She says, honey, I'm in the middle of cola. I'm learning in cola. I mean, you know. She says, okay. Can you tell me another joke, please? Boch <laughs> Hashem. <laughs> All right. We are going to start first with a statement that Rabbeinu said, and then we're going to explain the depth of the statement, okay? And then we can go back to understand what in the world we're doing here and what's happening here, and you can accept the craziness in a positive vein instead of fighting against it. When I say fighting against it, for example, you go to the tzion of Rabbi Nachman, and you want to have an open heart, and all of a sudden people are singing, na, 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 and you can't concentrate, and all things are you're trying to fight to make yourself to have a matzav, to have a presence. So we're going to try to see how to explain how you can accept it and jive with it, okay? The statement that Rabbeinu said is in the book Tzadik, Chaim Oran. Chaim Oran, by the way, if you look at the introduction of the translation by Avram Greenbaum, he says something very powerful about this book Tzadik. He says, in my opinion, he writes, the best place you can find Rabbi Nachman is in this book, Tzadik. Chaim Oran, if you want to really find a little bit of Rabbi Nachman more than anywhere else, it's the book Tzadik, Chaim Oran. Why? Because it's this book that has the uncensored statements that he said about himself, about his greatness. In the normal world, when they see statements, I'm just going off a little. When they see statements of a person praising himself, in the world's eyes, that's called gava, that's called haughtiness. Who are you, right? 
But like Rav Nosen brings down himself about Rabbi Nachman's praises. He talks about this in the, inter- in the introduction. But one second. Who wrote the Pasuk in the Torah? Va'ish Moshe anav mikol adam asher al adama. Who wrote the verse? And Moses was the most humblest person on... Who's the one writing the verse? <laughs> so if humility is according to our interpretation, or oh, you're boasting, you're boasting, you're boasting, so how could he have the audacity to write that by himself? So it shows you that that's not humility. If now a person is a professional doctor, okay, and someone's dying, he says, no, I'm not a good doctor, no, 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 and the guy's going to die, no, I'm not a good doctor, just help the guy. So in order to help the guy, he asks, Any, is there a doctor here? So he's saying, no, I'm not a doctor. So the guy's going to die in the meantime. That's not, that's, not, that's not humility. So the same thing, a tzaddik has to let known himself in the world. It's a pasuk, and this pasuk is explained by the Zohar in an amazing way. It's a pasuk from Proverbs, Mishlei. Ya'alel chazar velo picha. There's a pasuk that says, let someone else praise you, and not your own mouth. Okay. So the Zohar puts the comma in a different place. Yahalel Chazar, period. Let someone else praise you, period. Velo, comma. And if there's no one else to praise you, picha, let your mouth praise you. In other words, a tzaddik, who's really a tzaddik, and he can help people, but he can only help people if people know about his greatness, at least a little, a little bit. Because if he doesn't make known that he's a professional, people won't go to him. Like when you go to a doctor, they have deal. So he has to put all of his medical certificates on the wall. Why? He wants you to trust him. <laughs> I mean, in that case, it's not real, you know. But in the real of, of, of a tzaddik, he has to let you know all his PhD, whatever, PDA, PDF, PhD, whatever he has. He has to let known everything in the world so that you trust him. Why you talk? Why does Rabbi Nachman say about himself? So you should know to trust him, to trust him. So in the book Tzaddik, you'll find the most powerful statements Rabbi Nachman says about himself. Scary things, and you can only accept them if you first have seen that Rabbi Nachman's changed your life. Once the same mouth he said items and, and teachings that have changed you, that's it. I'm all yours. I'm ready to accept whatever he said. He makes a he makes a scary statement, but he's shown you that he's helped you and he's right. Okay? It's not like a, a Nabi Sheker. Nabi Sheker, it says in the Torah, that he prophesizes this and this will happen, and it happened. This is okay, let's go to idolatry. Okay, that's not the case of a tzaddik. The tzaddik, he's, pray, he's showing his greatness in order that you can trust him further to come to Hashem, Bezat Hashem. That's the whole purpose of a tzaddik, a true tzaddik, Bezat Hashem. Okay, so that's, that's about this great book in Chaim Moran, Tzaddik. So in this book, Rabbi Nachman praises himself, like a lot, in detail, there's a whole chapter about his greatness, that he's talking about his own greatness. He's talking about it, okay? And one of them is like this. He says like this, and it's a song. Everyone, I think, uh, people who are in Israel, they know the song. And he goes on. Which translates like what? I'm a ishpele. I am a man of pele, this word pele. I'm a man of wonder. Venishmati, and my soul is a greater pele, a greater wonder. Okay, what's the pshat? What is it? What is, it's really deep, obviously. You know, Avram Brav Nachman, he wrote, I wish 10,000 years after the resurrection of the dead, I can understand a simple statement of Rabbi Nachman like he himself did. You hear this? I hope, one more time. 10,000 years after the resurrection of the dead, I hope to be able to understand a simple statement that Rabbi Nachman, like he himself did, okay? So there's obviously depth that we can't fathom, but at least some handle in, in this teaching. So there's a shot like this. 
Ani Ishpele, I am a man of wonder of Pele. This was in his lifetime. When Rabbi Nachman was alive, he was still a wonder. He stuck out. When he was alive, he stuck out different. His, his neck stuck out other than, different than all the other tzaddikim at the time. Because he was making statements and giving advice. For example, his chassidim were called vidunikers. At the time, they were called confessors. They were confessing in front of the tzaddik. Okay, it's a concept which is pretty deep. You think that, that sounds like Christianity, but believe it or not, it's a Jewish idea. To do vidu dvarim in front of tzaddikim, look in the Shulchan Aruch and the commentaries, especially the, the Biragra. They say but that someone who did serious transgressions, it is worthy that he also confesses his transgressions in front of Tamit Chacham. Because it's a busha, it's a shame. Extended. It's one thing to talk in front of Hashem, but when you don't see Hashem, you have to believe in Him. So you have a limited amount of, of shame. But when it's in front of a living Tamit Chacham Tzadik, it feels even more painful. There's even a story Rabbi Nachman brings about the Baal Shem, so we won't go into that in detail. But his Chassidim were called Vidu Nikers, confessors. And then he also said about his Rosh Hashanah, and I, he said, if other Tzadikim don't make such a big deal to be by them for Rosh Hashanah, knew another question against me. As if to say, already people had questions on Rabbi Nachman and his huji-buji ways and everything. And another thing of, you know, coming to Rosh Hashanah, it's like, you know. So in his lifetime, he was already a Pele. The other tzaddikim, if you want to say, were on one side of the scale. And he was in a different ball game. That's why Rav Nosen came to him, because Rav Nosen was looking for more. He went to the tzaddikim, he was in, in contact with the greatest Hasidic luminaries of the time, and yet Rav Nosen felt, I'm not advancing. And when he came to Rabbein, when he came to Binachman, things began to move. Things began to move, okay? So in his lifetime, we can say, he said, Ani ish pele. And now after his passing, the nishmati, because the Rishimu, the remnant of a tzaddik, is the neshama. Okay, on the body, there's the body. But we're not just looking at the body, it's neshama. By the way, the Arizal writes, Rav Chaim Bital writes in Shah Gilgulim, that how did the Arizal know where all the tzaddikim were buried in the Galil? You go, you know, you, 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 we know there's tzaddikim in the north of Israel. Okay, the Arizal said here, how did he know that Yoyada is here, and Ben Ayah Ben Yoda is here, and, and, and this rabbi is, how did he know? He said simply, he saw the neshama of the Tana or the Amora floating above the kever. It was a there. So he saw the kever of, 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 of Nechunya ben Akana. He said, I saw, you see the neshama, so he knows the exact point where it is. And he described the Shagigulim. It's a type of rock shaped like this sticking out. You walk 10 meters from the, the, the stone mill, etc. Okay? So the, the neshama is over the grave of the tzaddik. That's how, that's how Darizal pointed it out. And that's what we have of Rabbi Nachman. He has his body here, his, his goof. But the neshama is here also. That's the idea. So he said, Venishmati, my soul, which is the main connection to him after his passing, he says now, Pele Gadol, is even a greater wonder. When he was alive, it was just Pele, a wonder. And after his passing, it's Pele Gadol. Okay. What's this thing about Pele? What's the idea of a Pele? Okay. We have to understand what the Pele is. What does it mean, Pele? Let's start with the Kabbalistic explanation. The Ramak, Ramoshe Kordevero, he has a book called Pardes Rimonim. Pardes Ramonim is a book used a lot by people who want to find grammatical significance of words in the Torah based on the Kabbalah. So this chapter 23 of Pardes Ramonim, it's called Erkei Achinuim. He takes the whole alphabet, words, in the, most words in the Torah based on alphabetical order, and he gives you the significance, what it means according to the Kabbalah, according to the Zohar. So Pele, 
which means something which is astonished, I mean, a wonder. He says this corresponds to the sphera, the Kabbalistic sphera, this level which is above levels. We can't call it a sphere because it's really above, called Keter. Keter is the crown. On one hand, it's one of the sphera. Sphirot, by the way, are the channels of energy Hashem used in the creation. And that Hashem continues to use in the creation, okay? So the Keter is in a constant influx and connection with us, as the other spirit, but the Keter is totally different. The Ravak says, Keter is called Pele. Why? Because it's Mufla. Mufla means it's beyond you. But Mufla mecha al-tidrosh. It's a verse, right? That which is beyond you, don't investigate. The Chachamim learn in Chagiga on this verse. <clears throat> You're not allowed to learn things which are before the creation, you know, things under, above. You're not allowed to go what's beyond. That's the danger of philosophy. Philosophy is like digging your head into danger zones and then you're stuck there and the answer given, like Rabbi Nachman says, is very shallow. So then you're stuck with the question for the rest of your life. It would have been better not to dig your brain in these areas and just remain with simple emunah because your brain is so limited as much as you try to understand, you won't understand. Forget it. It's impossible. So why ruin your brain? Why ruin yourself for the rest of your life with philosophical chakira? That's why Rabbi Nachman was so against, so against going into places where you, where you shouldn't be going. Limit yourself. Limit yourself. Emuna, okay? So Pele, Mufla, is a term for the Keter. Now, why is that? So Rabbi Nachman explains that the Keter is the gateway to something which is way beyond all of us. And it's something that if we do connect to it, we'll just disintegrate and dis- disappear. That's called the Or and Suf, the infinite light. Infinite light is a big, heavy statement. Infinite light is referring to Hashem before the creation. Hashem was everywhere. He was everywhere. That's why it's called infinite. Ain't sof. Okay? And it's the light of the infinite one. So that's beyond us. Okay? Keter is a gateway to tap to that which is beyond your, your, your capacity as a human being. Your, your constriction in being part of the universe. The Keter is the gateway for that. So you ask, why do I need that then? You do need that. Because all light coming into this world is filtered from the infinite light. We see that in the, I heard this from Rav Nosen Maim in a beautiful chidush from Rav Rosenfeld, I think. Or, Aleph Vavresh is Gematria 207. Okay? Ein Sof is also Gematria 207. Aleph 1, Yud 10, Nun 50, 60, 6, 50, 207. Meaning what? Any light, not just physical light, any light that you see in this world, light meaning... Uh, 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 what's it called? A motivation, enthusiasm, ambition. Any light you are experiencing in your life, even a goy, even something not connected to, to Yiddishkeit, any time, enthusiasm, something positive, energetic, you know, the feeling of a concert and everyone is singing and you're like, your hairs are standing. You know, even, a, I have to say, like a, a Queen's concert went back in the 1980s where to get to the point people are melting and their hair, their hair is standing, right? Okay? That feeling, believe it or not, a feeling of, of delight and hana'ah, enjoyment at such a level of light is coming from the infinite light, okay? So that's the case. We should, the, we should strive for that. So Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 24, that is the nature of a person. The, the tendency of, a, of, the, of the mind of a person is always to look for something. To look. Why, Rabbi Nachman says, why are people into news? Why are people always looking for the latest news, latest news? Oh, oh my God, look what's happening. Oh my, oh, look at that. Like, why are people into news? Because person is always looking for hitchachut, renewal, which is light. I need to bring some light into my life. It's the natural tendency of a person 
to look for light. Okay? He'll go anywhere to find it. Let me just get the light. Okay? But you can't connect to it fully because you'll disintegrate. It has to be in this term what the Zohar calls as mate, vila mate. Reaching and not reaching. Tapping and not tapping. Touching and not touching. Because if you were to be totally involved, you would disintegrate. That's how it is. But Hashem allows a person to get a, like a glimpse of it. It comes, disappears. What for? If it disappeared, what, do I, what does it help me? That you have an impression of this experience and you live off what's called the Rishimu. Rishimu means the impression. Judaism is built 99.999% on an impression. What keeps you going in life? Because you once, I once saw the light. Yeah, I once saw the light. The person said, I saw the light once in my life. That's what keeps you going in life. That you once tasted davening. You once tasted a Shlomo Karlebach concert and you were, oh my God, said, I'm sold for Yiddish guide. You once came Rabbi Nachman's kever and all the doors opened up and you started to cry for two hours. That's it, okay? And that hap- doesn't happen afterwards. But you've tasted it. You've tasted a high, a spiritual high. So now in the darkness, how are you able to continue going? Because I once saw the light. I had the light once. I have the Rishimu, okay? And this is the main devotion of a Jew in this world. That's what Hashem wants. If you think Hashem wants you to be you know, projectors, lights, camera, action, and, and Charlton Heston, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and the, the Torah coming down, and the fire. And if you think that's Judaism, in the beginning, to get people into Judaism, yes, that's given them to taste. But then it's taken away for the real job. The real job is that when you're in the schmutz, and you're in the mud, and you're in the grind, and you're going on the bus, and you're shopping in the supermarket, and you're changing the baby's diapers, and you're in, every, you're in the everything in the world, that you, in the darkness, are going on because of the connection you had in that light before. And that's what Hashem's looking for, believe it or not. He's looking for how you deal with the daily grind and struggle, and you keep on going on. And even though, even though the ups and downs, and it's crazy, but you're going on, that's dependent on what? That you once saw the light. I tasted the light. So it's given to a person, and it comes back. It's not like, oh, it was just once, and that's it. You don't know. You have no idea. It can, come, can pop up tomorrow. It can pop up next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now. You don't know. No one knows. But it comes again if you're holding on in life, Bezat Hashem. Ibn Ahmad has a nice story. I'm not, I know I'm going off a lot, but it's a nice story of the exchange children where the, the king, the real prince, the real son of the king was given an instrument that when this instrument was placed on any animal, the animal began to sing. <laughs> the animal began to sing. And it was, it was such a delight, a ta'anug, to hear it, okay? But he sold it in order to get something greater, which is called lavin davar mitoch davar, to be able to understand one thing from the next, which is a greater feat, a greater you know, experience, to be able to clarify the real reality, to understand one thing from the next. Oh, this happens, so I understand from this, A, B, C, D, E, F, and I know where to go now in life. And eventually he came to a throne, which was made entirely of the same material as that clay. And when he just repositioned it, it began to emit this music also. And the idea is, they say in Breslev, is that you're given a light in the beginning when you discover Rabbi Nachman's light, and the light is taken away. And if you keep on going, and you're insistent, and you're persistent, and you're consistent, and you keep on going, no matter how many ups and downs you go through, you'll get back to the light in greater proportions, B'zat Hashem, and this one will be internalized. It won't be something external, and something else will be external for you, something higher, B'zat Hashem. So in any event, we went off a lot. This is the idea of Rabbi Nachman's Pele, the Keter. The Keter is this access to this light, okay? This light, which is light of the Keter. Now, what does it play in the world of the Torah? So now we're going to go to a Midrash. Midrash Rabbah. <clears throat> Bereshit Rabbah. 
the opening, opening paragraph of the Midrash, which is very big. Midrash, by the way, is in a way higher than the Zohar. It's brought down in books that the Zohar was opened up by the Arizal. Who opened up the secrets of the Zohar? Ravi Sakluria, the Arizal. And the secrets hidden in the Midrash, who's going to open up the secrets in the Midrash? Mashiach. Unbelievable. If you take a look, if you're familiar with Rav Nosen's writings, Likutei Alachot, there are times Rav Nosen takes a Midrash and opens it up. Normally those places in Likutei Alachot, Rav Nosen takes a Midrash and opens it up, it's like a mind blower. You don't feel like you just lost your free will. He's able to take you in a way, in a place, which is unbelievable. It's a foretaste. He calls it Midrash Pliya. There's a Midrash called Midrash Pliya, but Rav Nosen also calls it a Midrash Pliya, because that's what the Midrash is. It's a Pele. It's unbelievable. It comes from the Keter. It's a big, big light, the Midrash. Okay? So the Midrash Rabbah opens up on the opening verse of Bereshit. Right? Bereshit. And it wants to expand the idea that Bereshit, the Midrash, the famous Rashi, Bishvil Torah Shenikret Reshit. Bereshit, be on behalf of the Torah, which is called the beginning. So the Midrash wants to bring another verse to prove the idea of the Torah being the beginning. So it's a pasuk in Mishle, chapter, Proverbs chapter 8, where the verse reads, the beginning of the verse, Va'ehye etzlo amon. King Solomon is saying on behalf of the Torah, the Torah is praising itself. The, 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 the Torah is telling in, in the first, like, first eight chapters of Proverbs, it's, it's the Torah speaking about its own greatness and why a Jew should make sure to remain detached no matter what to Torah study because that will be his key for everything else in life. So the Torah says about itself, and the I was, I was for Hashem, the Creator, Amon. I was Amon. So the Midrash asks, what is the meaning of this word Amon? So the Midrash brings five explanations, four in one group and the fifth in the second group on this word Amon. Four explains the Torah saying that I was kept preserved by Hashem until the right time came to be revealed. So it brings four verses. We won't go into all the details, but just in short. It says like this, Amon, number one, first explanation is pedagog. We'll explain that soon. Amon, second one, mechuse. Third one, Amon, mutzna. Fourth, Amon, rabata. And it says, davarcher, another explanation. Amon, don't read Amon, read uman. <laughs> okay, so let's get into this. So the, the, the Midrash says, the Torah says about itself, I was taken care of Hashem. First explanation, like a pedagogue. What is a pedagogue? Pedagogue is like a mother nursing a baby. When you have a baby, a newborn baby, you got to take care of it entirely. You got to clean it, you got to wash it, you got to feed it. The baby can't do anything. So just like the baby was to be taken care of 100% by the mother, so too the Torah is saying, I was being taken care of by Hashem before its revelation, like, like a mother to a baby, okay? So the commentaries explain, this is the idea of the pshat of the Torah. There's four levels, levels of the Torah we know. Pshat, remez, drash, so. These four that we're going to, pedagog, mechuse, mutzna, rabata, are the four levels of the Torah. Pshat, remez, drash, so. Pshat, what's pshat? Learning Gemara, learning Shulchan Aruch, Yeshivas, the yeshiva, you don't make yeshivas for learning Kabbalah necessarily. Those are like rare yeshivas. The main yeshivas are what? Gemara, halacha, dig yourself, dig on the Rashban, Rosh, Rifran, break your head. What's pshat? Pshat requires full attention. When you're learning halacha, 
you have to be fully uh, alert. You can't miss the details because then you, you lose the whole thing. You have to see what Rashi is saying, Tosfat saying, the Gemara is saying. You can't just read. You, you remember Yavamot? You guys did Daf Yomi, right? Yavamot was a killer, right? Yavamot, <laughs> your head was, you had to try to, to follow. It was an absolute killer. So many details, but you have to understand something. You can't just read it and, okay, let's just go through it. You have to understand something. So Pshat is like a pedagogue. It's like just like a mother takes full care of the baby. So too, when learning Pshat, it requires total Total. So, Amon, the Torah is saying, I was, before the Torah came to be revealed 2,000 years afterwards, or 2,000 years before the world was created, Hashem was taking care of me like a mother to a baby. Second explanation, Mechuse. Mechuse is like a baby a bit older, wrapped off a blanket. Okay? Mechuse is covered up. All you have to do is uncover the blanket. That's the level of Remez. Remez in the Torah are when people see like gematrias and hints and word connections. That's like that's a one of the part of the of the world of midrash is remez. You find a hint to here, hint to there. All you require is to uncover and you see the connections. It's not told to you explicitly, but you you can uncover it and find it over there. Mutsna, the third level is drash, where a darshan, a guy who's a darshan, a guy who's like a speaker, he has to bring something innovating. He has to discover something which nobody sees and to make the connection. He has to dig. The Parsha says here, here, and the Ramban says over there, and the Orachim says over here, and the Zohar says here, and the Gemara says there. He has to dig to bring something like a bouquet. He has to bring something. It was something which is hidden. Nobody knew about it. Okay? That's Mutzna. And now Rabeta, which means big, is now the level of the Sod. Because the Kabbalah, when you enter the world of Kabbalah, everything is big. It's humongous. Oh my God, these terms called Zeranpin and Malchut and the Sfirot, it's like heavy-duty stuff. All four levels, the Torah said about itself, I was protected on those four levels. In other words, the level of pedagogue, like a baby being pampered. Mechuse is like someone, like a, like a blanket. Mutzna, hidden, hidden. And it has to be, Hashem was hiding it, so it should be a surprise. Then no one should know about it. Rabeta, because of its greatness, like gold. Everyone sees the gold, but you protect it. You put it in full security. You don't just expose gold outside. Something which is very precious, it's, it's noticeable, but you, 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 you take care of it. So the, the sod for Hashem was also was, was, was being taken care of. Those are the four explanations of Amon. Amon. The fifth one, which is the main explanation, is don't read Amon, but read Uman. What does Uman mean? It's fine, Uman, Uman. We're going to go into that. Okay, but uman is like an umanut, a trade, tradesman, a craftsmanship. The Torah says about itself, and Rashi brings this down in the beginning of the Chumash. I was the vessel, the blueprint that Hashem used in the creation of the world. Right? It's a famous Rashi that Rashi is quoting the Midrash that Hashem didn't just create the world like that. Just like you know, a, a king wants to build a palace, he hires an architect. <coughs> The architect also doesn't just, okay, let's put the bricks here, put the, put the wood here. The architect draws up a map. Uh, 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 what's it called? He draws up a blueprint. blueprint thank you. Okay. With, with the rooms and the floors and the steps. And from the diftra, that's what the Midrash uses. The diftra is the cloth, the type of parchment he, he designs it on. Okay. He, use, he looks at that to, okay, make this wall 10 meters high, make a bridge over here, make another wall here. So to Hashem looked into the Torah. And from the Torah, I created the, the universe, okay? Kliyamuruto, all right? On this fifth level, the Zohar calls it Amon Mufla. An amazing term. Amon Mufla means 
the, the blueprint, the imanut that Hashem used came from the level of Keter. The level of Keter, this high level, which shines infinite light, it's that level of the Torah that Hashem used to make this creation. And in this way, the Keter sticks out above everything else. Okay? So you have the four levels of the Torah, which were pampered, they have to be taken care of Hashem, whereas the fifth explanation is the Keter, the level of higher than Kabbalah. Higher than Kabbalah is what Hashem used to create the world. It's not like He has to hide it. This is what's being used, okay? Fine. So now, the nature of the Keter, Rabbi Nachman says, he explains, a Jew now who wants to taste the infinite light. I'm not happy with status quo. I want more. I'm not happy going to my main minion that I grew up with and everybody's saying words they don't even know what they're saying and davening takes 20 minutes and then they gulp the cup of coffee and they're more interested in eating the cakes and the coffee after the davening than the davening and then they go to work. I don't want that type of life anymore. I want to feel the davening. I want to have a connection. I want to get up midnight. I want to know what it means to feel one with Hashem. I want to daven like a Jew. I want to have guarding my eyes. I want to feel Hashem in my life. You want that? That's already above Pardis. That's above Pshat Ramizdrashot. You're looking for the light of the infinite light to shine in you, basically. Uh, you want that? So Rabbi Nachman explains in Lesson 24, the only way that a Jew can perceive the infinite light afterwards in life is he has to be pushed back. He has to be bounced. It's called the Betisha. You want that light? You have to build vessels for it. How do you build the vessels? You're pushed back. Okay, and how you accept the bounce back will determine if you build the, the vessels. What's the prerequisite? Rabbi Nachman teaches the prerequisite for perceiving this light, the infinite light, which means feeling Hashem in your life, is simcha. Especially simcha and doing mitzvot. Which means, no matter what's happening to you in your life, you know that the only attitude that's going to get me out, that's going to keep me afloat, is I have to strive to be positive. I have to run on being simcha. If now I'm hit by a trauma, a traumatic incident in life, and I get sucked into it, oh my God, oh my God, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, I have to take away the kids from me, all the crazy things a person's chas shalom thinking about, right? All these crazy things, there's a divorce, chas shalom, whatever. And he has all these things just eating at him. So the panic eats it, it swallows him up. <laughs> the more he thinks about what he's going through, it swallows him up. Rabbi Nachman's advice, run away from it, run to Simcha. The people say, yeah, but you're not dealing with your problem. That's how I'm dealing with my problem. With my difficulty, my challenge, is I'm running into Simcha as the solution. Not as like a runaway. I know this is the solution. True Simcha. Rabbi Nachman says, Simcha of a mitzvah. Because the only true Simcha is Simcha by putting on tefillin, Simcha, by keeping Shabbat, simcha after taking a, 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 having a smoke, and I'm happy, that's not real simcha. Simcha shel mitzvah. Simcha of a mitzvah. Where, ah, oh, I kept Shabbos. Oh, I said a bracha. Why is it a true simcha? Because it's eternal. Once you've done a mitzvah, it's never erased. It's never erased. Okay? Unbelievable. You do a mitzvah, it's stored away. Forever. So you have every reason why they'd be happy. Yeah, but I put on my tefillin like this. However you did it. Did you put on tefillin at the end of the day? Yes. So what are you crying about? You did it. You're in. It's like I'm just reminded. Rav Nosen Maimon, like, like the story he said, that he, when he first went to Uman in 1970, I think 73, 1974, what is like that? He was a teenager. 
and it was the four guys they got there and they were able to say tikkun haklali like 15 times so he, so when he came back to Rev Rosenfeld his, his, Rebbe's, his future father-in-law so he asked him did you say the tikkun haklali he said yes we said 15 times did you say tikkun haklali he didn't answer the question because he got excited. He said 15 times. Did you say the tikkun akali? said yes. Oh, that's all. That's all we need. That's, you're in. In other words, you do a mitzvah? Yeah, but I wasn't in and that. Who says Hashem considers it? I'm so perverted. I'm so upside down that the mitzvah is really not a mitzvah? No. Wrong attitude. The mitzvah's in. It's in forever. And because it's in forever, even though it was done... <sighs> I'm, I'm embarrassed of my mitzvah. I'm embarrassed how I did it. Hashem's not embarrassed of your mitzvah. It's in. I have what to be happy about. So this is simcha of the mitzvah. The minimum Yiddish kind of a Jew, a Jew has what to be happy about eternally. Eternally. A goy doesn't have that. The goy goes to Club Med in Maui, and then he's happy, and then he's 95 years old. You know, when I was pregnant, I went to Club Med and everything. Yeah, it's not with him anymore. It's not with him. These things leave. But a Jew, a, a guy, an, an old yid at 90 years old, you know, I put on twillin for 90 years and he's so happy. And I now, I'm not scared to what I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, of judgment day. I have what to come. I have good mitzvot and the kudot tovot, good points to face. It's eternal. It's mamash eternal, okay? So when a, a person wants in his life infinite light, they bounce him back. They push him back. His attitude of how he takes it is dependent on how much this person is working to be besimcha. Because when he's working to be besimcha, so when he's put in these unexpected situations, when they push him back, if he has simcha that he's built on normally, so his chances of now dealing with the bounce back is much better than the guy who's always looking for perfection, always looking to advance, and every tiny thing gets upset, he blows up from every tiny thing, this guy, oh, thank you, Hashem, he knows it's a test, he knows my attitude is to be besimcha. He says, Rabbi Nachman, if now you succeed when being bounced back to be besimcha, you then merit to taste the infinite light. He calls the bounce back a funny term. It's called hechal hatmurot. Echalat Murot is a Kabbalistic term called the exchange chambers, where everything's mixed up. Everything's mixed up. In other words, you, had, you have a day where everything's going smooth, where everything's going high. You wake up on time for davening. You go to the mikveh early. You came, you came on time for davening. You daven nets, and you put on Rabbeinu Tam Tfilin. You learned halacha, and you had your davening. You did your Hizbodidus, and you did your Torah study. The day said, oh, this was Ganadim. And then all of a sudden, you're walking on the street, and somebody spits on you, and then you slip, and this happens, and you get home, and your wife screams, you forgot the fabric softener, and she throws the, the detergent <laughs> in your face. Okay, all these crazy things happen, and you don't know what happened. You don't, it comes to you unexpected, that's Echalat Morot. What happened? I thought I was in the ball game. I thought I was inside Hashem. Why do you slap me in the face? What did I do to you? I was only doing good. I got up on time, put on my tefillin, I did all these things. I felt connected to you. You want to say, I'm hearty, okay, but Hashem, I love you, and I, want, I wanted to connect to you. You can't deny that. Yes, you're right. Everything was perfectly fine. So why the bounce back? What did I do wrong? Because you're so good, we're not preparing you for the next level. We want to give you the infinite light. But the only way to experience internet is the keter. Keter, Rabbi Nachman teaches, is from the word in Eov. The book Eov brings the pasuk, katar li. Ze'er 
Elihu says to Eov, Eov was complaining, like these complaints. I hate Smurfs, I hate this. And Eov was really upset. They took away this, take that. Eov was upset. Okay. Elihu, he said, he was trying to tell him, don't question Hashem's ways. Don't question Hashem's ways. He knows what he's doing. And he said, after he gave his full speech, so Elihu said, wait for me, Qatar Lizer, wait for me a little. I'll tell you even more stuff. That you shouldn't, you should try, you shouldn't try to figure out Hashem with your sechel. Hashem is beyond the sechel. Amazing, huh? You need a moon. It's beyond the sechel. That's what Leo told them. So Qatar, Rabbi Nachman says, is like keter, the crown. What does a crown do? A crown is on the head of the king, but it sets like a limitation, a wall, that up to here, the king is a king, but it has a limitation. That's why we put a crown. I have authority. I have sovereignty, but it has a limitation too. There's a border which gives the value of the sovereignty that it's up to here, and it's real, but it also reminds us a limit, a limitation, and the beyond is beyond. That's the idea of a keter crown, and that's connected to Qatar waiting, because the waiting process is what develops a person to get to the crown. You have to wait, Qatar. What's the wait? They push you back. It's like you're, you're in a doctor's waiting room, but not just in a comfortable waiting room. You're in a waiting room and it's boiling hot outside, it's schwitzing, and there's no air conditioning. You're waiting and you're schwitzing and schwitzing, and all of a sudden the office fills up with 500 people and there's no room to stand and sit and everything. It's uncomfortable, the waiting. I have to get into the doctor's appointment. But you're, in the meantime, you're waiting and you're schwitzing and you're plutzing and everything is upside down, but you're still waiting, okay? If you pass that test, then you're enabled to the infinite light. So now let's go back to Rabbi Nachman. He said, Ani ish pele. I'm a man of pele. What does that mean? <coughs> Rabbi Nachman's interest is to get people to taste the light of the keter. Okay, Ani ish pele, vinishmati pele gadol. I'm here for people who want the keter. Rabbi Nachman's breastlev is for people who are looking for the real deal. They're looking to connect to Hashem. I don't want status quo. You want status quo? You want to be like everybody else? You want to be like the people who are satisfied with pshat, remez, drash, sod? We're talking about Jewish people. You want to be like a regular Jewish person who wakes up in the morning, has his shul, has his dafyomi class, goes to work, has his cute children, and nice family, everything's fine and dandy. You want that type of life? No problem. But don't expect like that to taste the keter. You want keter? Ah. You want pele? You really want the real deal? Okay, so you're going to get pushed back. This is the big question people ask. People come to Brestov on a high, and then after two, three, five, six years, they get burnt out. And they begin to feel people outside of Brestov are better than me. They begin to see, maybe I made a wrong choice. Maybe it's a wrong decision. I see other people, they're not in my community of Brestov, and they're doing well. They have Pranasa, their kids are okay. Look what I'm going through. What the H I'm going through, I can't handle it anymore. What is this? You know, did I make a mistake? I had a guy, a, 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 a breast of Hasidish Bachar, came up to me in Ben Azmani in the summer, and it was a hard week. It was Kitetse, Kitetse la Milchama. It's a week that we go to, it's a week that there's Milchama. And he said to me, I feel like a Litvish Bachar, they're better than me. Why, why, why wasn't I born a Litvish Bachar? And I was thinking about what he said, and he said, that's a real reality. That we see people who are not into breast of, and seemingly they have it better. They're learning Dafyomi, they're learning Gemara, they're educating everything. They're not missing anything. Uh, they are missing one thing. They're missing the aspiration for the Keter. You are sticking out because you want that light of the Keter. So because you want the light of the Keter, the attitude is Betisha, bounce back, bounce back. Nowhere in Torah literature 
is it's spoken about ups and downs like in Brest of literature. You don't find this term of ups and downs, ups and downs, you need chizuk. You don't find these terms, and even in Chabad you won't find it like this, to this extent, or normally melech, they say in the Hasidic world, the streets farm, there's normally melech, tanya, and the kutimoran. Normally melech is for tzaddikim, tanya is for benonim, and the kutimoran is for and there's a lot of truth into that. What's the truth? It's because I'm looking to strive for the keter, and I may be coming from where I'm coming from. You want the keter? Bounce back. Okay? So this is the thing. Rabbeinu staying, he said, I'm ish pele. I'm a man of pele. I'm only concerned for the keter. For people who want the light of the keter, mishmati, and my grave, the kever, is pele gado. You come to Uman, you can't make a picture, you can't make Woodstock out of it. I can't make a Karlebach concert out of it. I can't make a Litvish ceremony. I can't make a Temani Minyan because it's everything mixed. It's, it's crazy. And you can't now have harmony when this guy's going, oh, 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 oh. everyone's singing a different Nigun. It doesn't mix in. It doesn't mix in. So, and, then, and then you expect me to try to open my heart here, to do tshuva. I, what, what do you want from me? This is the Pele. Rabbi Nachman is a Pele. And it's experienced in Uman Rosh Hashanah more than any other time. Amon Mufla, the term from the Zohar, is in other words, Uman of the Pele. The word Uman for the city is very strange. In the Cyrillic dialect, all other terms fit in. Vinitia, Berdichev, all these funny words. Uman doesn't fit in. Uman is not a normal Ukrainian word for a town. All other words fit in. You have the Braslav, you know, Braslav, and, and Ilichi, and Dashev. They all sound Ukrainian. They have meanings. Latepolia, Medvedivke, Chirin, the Haisen, they have, they have meaning. But Uman is, it like doesn't fit in. Because Uman is the secret of Uman. Now, Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 24, the idea of Amon Mufla, the Uman, the, the workmanship, of the, workmanship of, the, of the wonder, of the Pele, is that you need Emuna. What does it mean? For the keter, when you're being bounced back, in order to be happy about it, you need to believe that this is growth. The pushback is really the greatest growth in the world. You tell this to other people, they can't handle it. Okay, the guys who are in the world of pshat, remiz, drash, sod, you tell them that being pushed back is the greatest advance, they go nuts. Everything has to be kesed there, everything has to work out, everything. By us, Rabbi Nachman's telling you, the pushback is the greatest ascent of your life. How can I accept that? And besimcha is if I have imuna. So he says, Amon Mufla, the workmanship of the Pele, requires imuna. If you have that imuna, that really this crazy thing I'm seeing in my life, or the craziness that I see in Uman, is really the prerequisite for tasting the Keter, I can jive with that now. You tell me that this is good? Okay, I, I, and it's and it's imuna believing it? This is how I can get into it. So in other words, what we're saying here is Amon Mufla is the Uman of this tzaddik called himself the Pele. And it's a wonder. And it's beyond the grasp of your capacity of your intellect to grasp it. How can you grasp it? Emuna. And with Emuna, I can accept the person who pushed me in line. I'm trying to go to Shiners to eat. And guy pushes me and elbows me and He sticks my, my, my scrambled eggs at Federer's and puts it in my face. So I don't know. All the crazy things happening... I can jive with it. And, and more than that, you know, I'm trying to serve Hashem. This guy is, is drilling into my ear, his tailing out loud, and I can't even concentrate. Or another guy is singing nanach out loud, and I can't concentrate, whatever. I can take everything. This is Pele. What's Pele? It's Mufla. Rabbi Nachman, he said, he's a Pele. 
And we're coming to the Pele with this attitude, I know nothing. There's no Sechel here. They would say in Breslev that you come to Rabbeinu with your Yiddish, your Zekel Bainer. You bring your sack of bones. <laughs> You're coming to the tzaddik with your sack of bones. You're not coming, oh, I am a PhD in Gemara, I finished Shas, and I'm, I'm this, I'm accomplished. You're coming here, you know, I just brought my sack, a body, with bones. You, the tzaddik, do what you have to do with me here. There's a, there's a halachic discussion in Breslev if you're allowed to use my sermon to buy a ticket for Uman Rosh Hashanah. Because you're, you're not supposed to gain personal benefit from the Maaser Mani. It's to go to something else. So the conclusion is, because you're coming to Uman Rosh Hashanah for Rabbi Nachman more than you, because he said to come. He told me to come. I may or may not want to be here. It depends. Sometimes most people do want to be here because it's fun, okay? It's, uh, even though it's upside down, but there's a fun part to it. There's discomfort and everything, but there's a fun part, okay? But still, I'm here because he told me to come here. So because of that, they say in, in halachic breast of circles that if you're really tight for money, you can use your maizer money to buy a ticket for Rosh Hashanah. Not for any time of the year, for Rosh Hashanah. Because he told you to come. I'm here for him. I'm here more for him than I am for me. I'm going to get a side benefit, a side benefit. The real benefit is what the tzaddik does when more and more yirin come together. It's something which you guys probably know by now. It's exponential, fractorial numbering. Rabbi Nachman talks about it in Lesson 8, Part 2 of the Kutimuran, that the Jewish people are unique. One Jew is one. Two Jews are two. Three Jews are really six. Because it's multiplic- multiplying the, the final sum with the new number. So it's two times three is six Jews. And then four is 24 Jews. Because it's, 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 it's combinations of A, B, C, D, A, C, D, B. You mix it up, you can make 24 combinations from four Yidin, okay? So when you get to 10 Jews, the number is already beyond the millions, beyond the millions, okay? So this is the thing of... of uh, how do I get into this? I'm sorry. Uh, what happens when all, we're here with the tzaddik? He can take the combinations and make out of it something big. We can go on and on and on. We'll stop at this point. Ah, right. One thing. Um, we wanted. They wanted to make. A, we wanted to make an announcement. The Kutalachot in English. This amazing edition, volume two, is going to be printed soon. And there's a possibility of making dedications for these unbelievable discourses. Rav Nosson said about the Kutalachot that the Shla Kadosh, the Shla Kadosh, he said that his book is the prosdor to Gan Eden, the entrance to Gan Eden. Rav Nosson said that his Likut Alachot is the Gan Eden itself. It's the Gan Eden itself. And plus, there's one more story, that Rav Nosson, when he was being pursued because of his spreading Rabbi Nachman's teachings, are we doing with time? Yeah, yeah okay. Um, so he saw in a dream Rabbi Nachman. After Rabbi Nachman passed away, he saw Rabbi Nachman and somebody else. And Rav Nosson was complaining to the Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman, how much I'm suffering persecution for trying to spread your light and teachings in the world. Look what I'm going through. So Rabbi Nachman tried to console Rav Nosson. He said, but you did very well in your chidushim that you're on the Kutelachot. And the tzaddik next to him said in Yiddish, Yo, yo, zel git, you did very well. So, so Rav Nosson asked Rabbi Nachman, who is this? Is This is Moshe Rabbeinu. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. So you have a haskama on these teachings. Moshe Rabbeinu yeah, that, that's the beauty of Rabbi. Come on, of course he speaks Yiddish. Okay, so the, you can contact the BRI on their website. There's a way to contact. There's also a scan thing on this page. You can maybe the people on the screen can scan it. Here we go. You can scan it. So you can scan it to make a dedication. And the Shem the Sutra Rabbein Rabbi Nosson should protect us, and that we have Uman Rosh Hashanah in our pocket. Also, Rabbi Nachman said, one of the biggest chassadim in the world is to help other Yidden. And one of the biggest ways to help other Yidden is to spread Rabbeinu's Torah so they can ah, close that Ah, uh, 
contributing to such a thing is a tremendous is a tremendous mitzvah and a, a school for you and your mitzvah. Amen. Shana tova. Ktiv achatim atova. Oh.